This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, well, Danny just mentioning a weather watch in effect, but not today. It's tomorrow that we have to worry about, and uh, all the blustery weather is just a one-day occurrence, and then Saturday should be all systems go for sunshine, blue skies, and what have you. Of course, you know, we're getting off easy. Folks in the Carolinas have been drenched, and then some. And uh, they say the worst may yet still be uh, to come because for a lot of the folks, you know, the waters have not begun to recede, and... Many are weary, bone-weary of all of this and uh, trying to sustain themselves. Some have gone back to their farms and have lost their livestock, wiped right out. On that front and several other things confronting the great America, uh, we've got Reggie Giacchini joining us, Washington Bureau producer with Global National. Reggie, always a pleasure to have you on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. So about the hurricane aftermath, last time we spoke, you were in Wilmington, North Carolina, kind of uh, the epicenter of the destruction and all the rest of that. Uh, How are the folks making out down there? Uh, So there are some problems in the Wilmington area and uh, through a lot of parts of North Carolina still where rainwaters continue to flood back down into rivers. You're getting freshwater flooding now. Some rivers are still not expected to crest until likely Monday or Tuesday. So there's local officials around the state saying, look, if you're out of your house right now, it might be clear to get there, but don't stay very long because the waters are going to come back and you are going to experience more flooding. You know, I was reading uh, and saw the pictures, too, that uh, some people going back to their farms, like uh, they had 80,000 chickens and uh, all of the coops, you know, modern coops, lost everything. The, The birds had all drowned. That's what a lot of farmers have been dealing with. A lot of farmers also losing uh, a number of livestock when it comes to both cows and pigs. Uh, hog farming is a huge deal through North Carolina. And one of the problems with the wa- with the uh, flooding waters was that the waters were rushing up over what they call lagoons. It's what keeps all the hog waste kind of in a contained area. The water picked up that, uh, that waste and is kind of pushing it through into the streams now. And that's what's expected to flood back into a lot of the neighborhoods. So not only are these farmers dealing with the fact that they lost livestock, they're also now dealing with the fact that their livestock's waste is now going to contaminate drinking water. Yeah, something like 6,000 pigs lost, 3.4 million poultry birds, and then, of course, the human tragedy, too. Uh, what is the number, about 17, 18 at last count? Well, it, it was that. It's actually got kind of going all over the place now. We've got numbers between North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia that are kind of tallying to more than 30 at this point. That number could go higher, though. They're saying with the floodwaters that come back, uh, some of the most tragic incidents here, again, are a tree falling on a house that killed a mother and her baby. A couple of, uh, of people were actually on their way to a hospital to deal with mental health situations, and that vehicle was washed away in the waters, and two more lives were taken with that. So, look, this storm system blew through more than a week ago, and we're still watching the death toll rise. In the case of the two individuals, yeah, it was a mental health issue. Uh, They were in the back, I guess, of a a van, and the two deputies, they escaped, but the floodwaters sort of swept them away, and they were uh, tethered into the van they were? Uh, They were, yeah, in the the back of that van, and it's just what you get when you have rising waters. I mean, when we were fleeing Wilmington to go up to Raleigh, uh, we were watching the waters kind of rush beside us and rush up behind us. So, I mean, if you're not, you know, paying attention or if that water comes up on you quickly, you have very little chance to actually get out of it. So what's the situation as far as... uh 
power being restored? Is it still out for the bulk of the people on the coast there? Yeah, we still have more than 150,000 people across North Carolina that are sitting with no power. Those power authorities that are dealing with that uh, between North Carolina and the 17 states that came in to help them likely going to be dealing with this for the next couple of weeks. And you got to think that there's a lot of people who have been sitting in houses right now who may not have been flooded, but they've had no electricity for going on to a week now. And, you know, sitting in a house with uh, no power for a week, maybe two weeks going to three weeks, that also leads to potential health problems. Sure. Plus, you know, you can't pump gas. We pointed that out the last time, uh, if there's in fact a vehicle that you could use, but it's just calamitous. And uh, the enormity of it, I guess, still not felt in full, because as you say, uh, some of these rivers are going to crest as late as Monday of the coming week. So uh, that's going to be into, uh, what, the third week or the second week of this this whole ordeal. Uh, Reggie Cicchini's on the line with us, Washington Bureau Producer with Global National. Two uh, matters in Washington. I've got to ask you, are you safely now in that, that nation's capital? Oh, I am sitting at my desk. I've been here <laughs> locked solid for the last day. Well, there's a lot going on. I've got to ask you the latest on this Brett Kavanaugh hearing because uh, Chuck Grassley, He's the uh, senator who chairs this committee that's hearing, and uh, he had given a deadline. This is the new wrinkle where uh, the woman who back then, when she was 15, claims that uh, Kavanaugh had assaulted her, tried to sexually assault her, Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, And now this revelation that uh, has come up in the 11th hour when they wanted to expedite this and be done with, I guess, the next uh, step in the process today, it's all been put over. He says the Monday uh, hearing is open to her, but he gave her a deadline of Friday at 10 a.m. whether or not she would appear because Kavanaugh plans to be there. Will she or won't she? What's the latest? So what we're learning now from uh, from the woman's lawyers, or at least from her legal team, uh, the New York Times obtained an email that they had sent saying that she is now willing to testify. She wants to make sure that the conditions are going to be safe, though, because I guess that there's been some threats put against her, her life, her family, some harassment over the last couple of days because of these allegations that she's made. So she is willing to testify. Uh, we don't know yet whether it's going to be in Washington, whether it's going to be against uh, in front of lawmakers and televised or behind closed doors. I mean, the Senate's also given her the opportunity to fly a bipartisan team out to California and they can do the interview that way. We're still waiting to hear what the information is. We don't know when it will be, but we you know, we know that the hearing is supposed to take place on Monday when Brett Kavanaugh is going to sit down with lawmakers. So if she says she's ready but she wants to hold it off maybe a week, maybe a couple of weeks, we have to see if the Senate's going to accept that. Well, yeah, it's become somewhat well, it's overtly politicized now or even weaponized. Uh I guess that that puts the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Grassley at Hall, in a difficult position because they look like they're hard-hearted and not compassionate towards a woman's plight if they go ahead. On the other hand, uh, some people are suggesting, you know, as much the victim in this is Kavanaugh because if she's not credible, uh, his reputation stands to be destroyed. That's what a lot of Republicans are saying right now, that the timing is strange, that, you know, the Democrats held on to this allegation for a couple of months before they decided to go to the FBI with it and have that investigated slightly before they could actually bring this forward. So Republicans are saying, look, timing is a big deal. You've had two months to come out with these accusations. We could have talked about this. We could have dealt with it. We could have had the president get the FBI involved in it. You waited until the 11th hour to bring this forward. How do we do this? They're just thinking back, you know, 25 years or 30 years when the last time this came up with Justice Clarence Thomas They don't want to make it look like they're being insensitive to the uh, person who's made these accusations, especially in a year where Republicans could face, you know, a a, a tough time when it comes to the midterm election. So this is a real 
tough time for uh, for Republicans on the committee to be watching this, and you know they're, they're choosing their words very carefully right now. Well, the point too that's been raised is that maybe the uh, Democrats are playing this hand because they're ragging the puck past the midterms, where there's even some suggestion they could take the Senate. If so doing, uh, it means all bets are off. Kavanaugh doesn't get passed, and. Uh, it's a colossal reset button that would have to be hit. So do you think there's part? this is part Democrat strategy here? Absolutely. I mean, the Democrats don't have the numbers in the Senate to be able to say no to any kind of person that the president decides to put forward. So they're doing everything that they can, or at least it would seem that they're doing everything that they can to back this person who's made these accusations and say, look, if you're going to be testifying, you need to testify when you're comfortable. We can't force you to do that. If it takes a couple of weeks, so be it. The problem is, is that if this ends up, you know, putting a a halt effectively to Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, and they don't get the Senate, we run the risk of Donald Trump now putting an even more conservative uh, judge up for nomination, just as a kind of, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you now that you derailed my last one. That's something that Democrats could have to face after the election if they don't end up with the Senate. It's true. Uh, The president could be prickly or petulant. And to that point, finally, you know, when it comes to the trade negotiation with Canada, we know that Mr. Lighthizer and Christopher Freeland, his counterpart, uh, maybe there's a certain chill between them. Doug Ford goes to Washington yesterday. He has lunch at the Trump Hotel. He was invited by the American ambassador to Canada to do so. And uh, some are suggesting, you know, maybe he has a better way because uh, it's a like-minded individual with Donald Trump in in several regards, not entirely. But Uh, Do you think he has any input or impact insofar as trade talks would be concerned? I I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, these trade talks have been going on for many months and for definitely months before Doug Ford was elected as premier. So him coming down here, you know, it may be just to kind of, you know, boost morale or say, look, there's a lot of people in Ontario. There's a significant part of Canada's population that could be affected by any trade negotiation that goes south or goes sour. So we need to make sure that we're all on the same level right here. He does have that kind of bombast to him that might, you know, fit in well with those that are kind of in the Trump atmosphere dealing with these trade issues. But again, this has been going on for months and months. Talks have been circular. Again, we we had another meeting today where talks kind of uh, wrapped up for the day, as we heard Danny mention in the news, and likely not going to get back at it again till next week as Christopher Freeland comes back home. But officials continue to do their work with trade negotiations. They're just likely going to miss that self-imposed September 30th deadline. All right, uh, which again has certain implications, but we won't uh, belabor them here and now. Reggie, I always appreciate your input from Washington. Thanks so much for it. Thanks, John. Reggie Cicchini, Washington Bureau Producer with Global National. In a moment, we'll get to our panel topics worthy of discussion. David Wills, Peter Sherman, and Stephen Holliday, the deputy mayor and counselor for Ward 3, running in a 25-member council. We'll find out how these gentlemen feel about topics worthy of discussion in a moment on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.